Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 7 of Genesis chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kala. And reason between Nineveh and Kala, the same is a great city. In our last study, uh, we were discussing uh, the wording that's found in verse 11, and uh, I mentioned that some commentators of the past have said that um, they believe this verse 11 should be translated, out of that land he went forth to Assyria and builded Nineveh. But again, they um, took some liberties with um, the masculine pronoun and with the preposition that are not in the text of verse 11 in order to uh, to make that verse um, say what, what they believed it said. And I think the King James translators translated this accurately. Out of that land went forth Asher, not Nimrod, but Asher, and builded Nineveh and the city Rehoboth and Kala. Now, the only Asher that's in view is um, verse 22. We'll read about him a little later in this chapter. In verse 22, the children of Shem, Elam, and Asher, and Arphaxad and Lud, and Aram. And, uh, of course, um, the children of Shem would have already been born at the same time um, as the children of Ham. And Nimrod is at least um, a grandson, if not a great-great-grandson, of Ham. And so um, it, it's perfectly fine. It, it fits for Asher to have already been born and to have gone out of the land of Shinar to build Nineveh. And then as he builds Nineveh, the land where Nineveh, the great city, is built becomes Assyria. And Asher is the same name as Assyria. So that that makes perfect sense. Well, who does Assyria spiritually represent? And when we search the Bible for information concerning Assyria, we find the Assyrians represent the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of this world. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, it says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against the hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath, while I give him a charge 
to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. And what we find is that God raised up the Assyrians as a rod of his anger to afflict punishment upon the rebellious people of Israel, that is, at that time, the ten tribes of Israel in the north that also were known as Samaria. And God brought judgment upon Israel using the Assyrians who came against them and destroyed them. And it was the Assyrians that defeated Israel in the north and and overcame them. And so the Lord really used the Assyrians much like he would later use the Babylonians about a hundred years later to come against the people of Judah. Also at that time, the outward representation of the kingdom of God on the earth. And so the Assyrians' assault against Israel is spiritually teaching the same thing as the Babylonians' assault against Judah. And when the Lord brings the Babylonians, he speaks of raising up a fierce nation and um, a fierce king, the king of Babylon, who the Lord calls his servant to work out the judgment upon the rebellious people of Judah. And so the Assyrian is said to be the rod of God's anger, the staff In their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation. And and both the judgment of the Assyrians upon Israel and then the later judgment of the Babylonians against the people of Judah spiritually pictures God's judgment against the apostate corporate church at the end of the world when the church age comes to a close. And we know that following the 70-year period from 609 B.C. until 539 B.C., when the Babylonians have overcome the land of Judah, that that 70 years is a picture of the entire Great Tribulation period. And at the end of 70 years, then Babylon falls and the judgment turns. God no longer is using the Babylonians to judge his people, but God turns his attention to Babylon itself and for their wrongs and their trespasses in daring to lift up their hand against God's anointed and and he judges Babylon. And that spiritually points to the kingdom of Satan, Satan and his emissaries, that came against the church, the corporate church, that was apostate, and God loosed Satan. And then as Satan and his forces did what they do naturally in their rebellion, they they brought spiritual destruction to the world's congregations that serve God's purpose. God is not uh, behind their sin. The Lord just simply knew they would commit such sins, and their sinful acts would accomplish God's purpose of bringing about a destruction of the church institution. And following that, after 23 full years, 
on May 21, 2011, the Lord turns around and judges Satan and his kingdom, the world, which is what is in view with that picture of Babylon's fall. Well, we find the same picture with the Assyrians. God used them as an instrument of judgment to destroy Israel in the north. But then in Isaiah chapter 37, we read that uh, they, they go beyond that. In Isaiah 37, starting in verse 10, it says, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Now, this is a a spokesman addressing Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. And he's saying, um, do not be deceived that Jerusalem itself will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Now, we have to understand the spiritual picture is that this Assyrian army has destroyed Israel in the north, Judah was in the south, and several other nations, and and that's a picture of God bringing judgment on the corporate church. But Hezekiah is a type of Christ, and Jerusalem here is a picture of Jerusalem above. God's elect that find refuge and safety in salvation. When, Whenever God saves an elect, they become citizens of heavenly Jerusalem. And the Lord fairly regularly makes a distinction between the two. For instance, in Zechariah 14, it says in uh, verse 2, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. It uh, it sounds contradictory. How can the city be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and, and so forth? Yet, God will not cut off the residue or the remnant of the people from the city, because both cities, earthly Jerusalem, or Jerusalem below, the corporate church, and heavenly Jerusalem, Jerusalem above, the eternal church, are in view. God's judgment impacts Jerusalem below, the corporate church, and there's all this destruction and and so forth. But at the same time, all of the true believers, those that are God's elect, who have experienced salvation, are not cut off from the city, uh, Jerusalem above. It's impossible for them to be cut off, no matter what happens to the earthly representation of the kingdom of God, the corporate church. It, It will have no bearing upon the elect's position, uh, their extremely safe and secure position within the kingdom of heaven. For instance, um, the Lord touches upon that. Also, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 1, 
where it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. Now, the earthly house would be the corporate church, Jerusalem below, the churches we see on, on our street corners. And, and so this verse is indicating or stating as fact, and we, the plural pronoun, is speaking only of God's elect. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that is, if the church were dissolved, and the word dissolved is a Greek word, translated here as dissolved, which is translated as thrown down in Matthew 24, where there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And just as Matthew 24 is speaking of the corporate church, so is this word being applied to the church in 2 Corinthians 5.1. And again, we know, we have confidence, we, we have assurance that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were thrown down, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That is, the elect understand and know that we have an eternal dwelling. We're citizens of an eternal kingdom. And and that's why there's a big difference between a child of God, one of God's elect, and someone who's not one of God's elect. And both the wheat and the tares were dwelling together in earthly Jerusalem, in our earthly house, and then at the proper time and season, the Lord opens up information revealing the judgment which has begun upon the house of God. And to God's elect, we are given ears to hear, but also we're in a special position. We have dual citizenship in heaven above or Jerusalem above and Jerusalem below. And we're hearing, okay, the Jerusalem below this earthly institution is being cut off. It's being thrown down. It's time to come out. And so for God's elect, we still have the safety, the security of membership, which comes through salvation by the grace of God, in spiritual, eternal Jerusalem above and, and so we're much more prepared and willing to obey God, knowing that we're still safe. But on the other hand, those that are not truly elect, the tares within the congregation, they only have assurance, they only have security with Jerusalem below, with earthly Jerusalem, with the outward representation of the kingdom of God. They, they have no assurance and security because they actually have no um, real membership. They're they're not truly citizens of a heavenly country. They're only citizens of the heavenly representation or that which represents the heavenly country, and so they receive it much differently. It, it's it, it's terrible news for them if they're cut off. If their earthly house is thrown down, 
Well, they, they have no assurance or security in any other house, in any other relationship to the kingdom of God. And, and therefore they are frightened and fearful of losing their church membership, membership of the corporate body. And so they, they fight against it. They, they lash out against it. Uh, they, they view it, uh, that is losing membership in the earthly body as uh, akin to losing all relationship to God and to salvation. Because again, for them, this is their only link. This is their only connection to the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, they must hold on. They must insist, no, it, it, this is not right. It's not correct. But it's not the case with the child of God. But here in Isaiah 37, when the Assyrians, that force that God raised up, the rod of his anger, to bring judgment against a hypocritical nation, the corporate church, when they have accomplished the judgment upon the corporate body, Israel, now they're coming against Judah. And it's a different picture. It's as though Satan and his emissaries, his ministers of righteousness, the, the priests, the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the bishops and popes, it's as though Satan has accomplished the judgment on the corporate body and now is attempting to bring judgment on the spiritual body of God's elect. And so naturally we find that God will not have that. And it says here again, Isaiah 37, the end of verse 10, God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And you can read Satan there. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezif and the children of Eden, which were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath? and the king of Arphad, and the king of the city of Sepharphim, Hena, and Iva. And uh, actually, back in the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 36, it says in verse 18, Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, Jehovah will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharphim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? So there is Israel conquered by the Assyrians. Well, it goes on here in verse 14 of Isaiah 37. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of Jehovah and spread it before Jehovah. And Hezekiah prayed unto Jehovah, saying, O Jehovah of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, that art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Jehovah, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Jehovah, 
and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which has sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Jehovah, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Jehovah our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art Jehovah, even thou only. Now notice what Hezekiah did when he received the letter from the spokesperson or the messengers from the king of Assyria. He did not fight back. He he did not get into a war of words with them. He did not dispute with them. But instead, he took the letter and laid it out. He spread it out, actually, before Jehovah. And, you know, uh, we, we can relate in some ways. Because the king of Assyria and the Assyrian army were proud and arrogant. They, they were victorious. They, they had conquered everyone. They had conquered all the nations. They had even conquered Samaria. And see how that relates um, to the beast in Revelation 13. He rises up out of the sea and he um, is worshipped by everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. All the nations come under his rule. And the beast is Satan who is loosed at the time of the Great Tribulation. And he overcomes the camp of the saints, we read. He's overcome all, all the nations, even the outward representation of the kingdom of God on earth, the New Testament church. And and so he is puffed up uh, greatly with pride and in his arrogance, he um, it, it is spouting all sorts of things, just... Consider all the things that were said over the course of the Great Tribulation by those within the churches. And and we can see how the people of God have experienced much reviling and and mockery. And, and yet we don't fight back. We, we don't argue with them. But we can go to the Lord and we can say, Oh, Father. Oh, Lord, you know all. You know what the world is saying and thinking. You know what the church is saying and thinking and doing against thy people. And, oh, Lord, please, well, we cannot fight them. But but thou, can, can you see this? Can you, can you understand as we spread it out before God? Like, for instance, in this day of judgment. Do you think that God is aware of the rejoicing of the parties that took place on May 22nd, 2011? Is the Lord aware of the tremendous rejoicing that took place in the churches as they denounce and, and put down a good and faithful man and, and just speak so Vilely of him, Mr. Camping, like you've uh, rarely have heard. Uh, is God aware that his servant 
was spoken of in that regard and his people disdain? Is God aware of the attitude of the world and the church and of all the unsafe people of the earth? Of course. And, and we, we can spread it out and we can say, Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, help. Oh Lord, fight for us. And of course God has as we have entered into the time of judgment, into the day where God is turning the table on Babylon. God is turning the table on the Assyrians. And God is fighting for his people against them. Here in Isaiah 37, if we go down to verse 33, Therefore thus saith Jehovah concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith Jehovah, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of Jehovah went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adram Melech and Sherezer his son smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Ezerhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now we we see here again, judgment day is in view. It's the judgment upon the Assyrians. God used them. They were the rod of his anger. And they accomplished his purpose when they defeated Samaria. But now, after their defeat of Samaria, which would point to the end of the Great Tribulation... They come to Jerusalem above. They come against God's elect, and God will not permit them to win that battle, but God enters the fight himself. It's it's similar to what we read with Jehoshaphat. When he goes forth to battle against that great army coming against Jerusalem, and, and again... It is said, you have no need to fight in this battle. The Lord will fight for you. And when they finally come to the watchtower in the wilderness, they find all of the enemy army, a great host, are dead because they killed one another. That is, God entered into the battle and brought about their destruction, and the people of God had literally to do nothing. Jehoshaphat and his army just gathered the spoil. And so too here, Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem do not fight. They don't shoot a bow. They don't cast a spear. There's there's no battle of swords. They just simply wake up early in the morning and it's the angel of Jehovah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and God smote the Assyrians 185,000 dead men, which is just an enormous number 
of soldiers that are lying dead. This would have been the army um, round about Jerusalem, and, and they would have destroyed Jerusalem. They were an experienced army that had won many battles, but they could not defeat the Lord. Maybe the Lord brought a plague. We don't know. Maybe all their hearts stopped. God doesn't get into the specifics, but they were all dead, 185,000. Well, in our next study, we'll pick that up and see the significance of that number. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.